Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Well, welcome to another episode of Leverage Masters. I'm your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Grace, and along with my co-host, Andrea Adams-Miller from the Red Carpet Connection, we are the hosts of Leverage Masters. Andrea, how in the heck are you today? I am doing absolutely wonderful. Super excited to be here. It's a beautiful day, and I'm super excited about always uh, sharing time with you to interview the fabulous guests that we have on. (laughs) Same here, but at the moment, I don't see our guest here yet. Oh, he says he's on, so um, let me... Uh, Here he is. Here he is. Okay. (laughs) He's texting me as we speak. So for those of you who are listening, <laughs> what happens, you know, when you have a, a radio show uh, such as Blog Talk, you don't have a producer for you. Uh, that, I mean, while I am the producer as far as getting the people on the show, I don't produce the technology part, which is uh, done by the platform. So Jeff is texting me right at the moment, which is actually a feat in itself because Jeff has no hands, no elbows, no forearms, no biceps and practically no shoulders. Um, this um, he said he said he called the number and it said I can listen. So should I have him call in again? That's the same problem I had the other day. So I'll tell him. In, nope, I'll I think I got him, him unmuted. Are you with us? Oh, are you with us? Oh, Jeff? try it. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yay! We can. All right. I knew I knew if I said the right things or turned my turn my tongue the right way it would work (laughs) well i'll tell you what this this sounds actually inappropriate but (laughs) jeff can do amazing things with his mouth and his tongue (laughs) and that sounds totally inappropriate (laughs) but i have had the pleasure of having dinner with this man on multiple occasions as well as being with him at other events and seeing how he can, you know, uh, do things like drive a car and um, edit his own videos and uh, um, eat a meal and uh, prepare for a speech and, all, and take notes all without the use of having any hands at all. So having this um, ability to be able to use his lips, tongue, and mouth to um, to excel in things that we would never think about doing with our with our mouths um, is quite a feat. So um, I suppose I should do the rest of the intro, huh? <laughs> I think that would be a good idea. Yeah, because now everybody's yeah, going, why? Pretty, wow. This guy sounds pretty incredible. I don't know. <laughs> well, he is, and he's absolutely adorable as well. So this is Jeff Steinberg. He is really all about being a masterpiece in progress, and he is a miracle as well. He, um, you know, his adage is that he wants you to know that God has a unique design for you in your life, and he understands that from his own point of view because he was born what, with what, what other people was, would call handicaps, 
because he has no arms, no hands, and he has two malformed legs. So this uh, gentleman is often referred to as a tiny giant. He's four foot six inches, very tall, and he has the most unique message for people. You know, he really does this through his keynote speaking and through his entertaining. He's, you know, I mean, the man does everything but a little bit of soft shoe, and actually the man can dance as well. Um, I, I'm just going to bring you on to share more about who you are. He's so humble. He's so witty. He's so fun. He's very handsome. Um, I, I think at one point, I think I would call you a short Donny Osmond. <laughs> oh, shut. It's because when I, you were I, younger, I, he had this gorgeous, gorgeous full head of hair, super, super handsome. Now he's aged a little, so he's a little grayer, but he's still stinking cute. <laughs> well, you know, a number of years, a number of years ago, I was at the uh, Easter Seal Telethon in Los Angeles with Pat Boone, and I happened to encounter a fellow by the name of B.J. Thomas. You remember him? Yes. Anyway, B.J. Thomas, who sang the song and recorded the song "Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head." Anyway, I got to meet him because people were always telling me that I looked like him because of the way I parted my hair and I had dark hair and I had a lean face and whatever else they thought. But So I walked up to him and I said, hi. I said, people tell me I, I look like you. I said, has anybody ever told you you look like me? And this <laughs> look of terror came in his eyes like, not that I can recall. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I've never heard me compared to Donny Osmond. That's pretty cool. Um, let me tell you a little bit about me, because I was that terrible thing that happened to Irving and Ruthie Steinberg 67 years ago. I was born August 18, 1951, with no arms, mangled, malformed legs. The doctors called it phocomycelia, or birth defects. Um, they didn't expect that I would live, and my grandmother was at the hospital with my mom, and she saw me and called the post office where my dad worked. And uh, she finally got them to track him down because my father was a letter carrier in Philadelphia, and he rushed to the hospital, and they told him that they weren't certain I was even going to live. Um my father instructed them that they were not to tell my mother. She did not know about my disability until I was 17 months old. She didn't see me for the very first time until I was nearly two years old in a children's welfare shelter. And actually the way she found out about my disability was because my grandmother told her in the kitchen against my father's wishes. Um, I spent uh, five and a half years in and out of Shriners hospital for crippled children in Philadelphia. I had multiple uh, surgeries to straighten my legs, to fit me with uh, braces, to, I had my, I was fitted for my first artificial arm or prosthesis as we call it, which was nothing more than a stump socket with a spoon attached. And uh, um, when I was four years old, and I've had uh, many since then, um, but uh, I grew up in and out of Shriners Hospital, had surgeries. The doctors, the doctors would, uh, the doctors would come about once a week, and they would, uh, 
they would, uh, you know, do rounds and talk about my physical situation. And at one point when I was about eight years old, my the Dr. Moore, Royal Moore, who was the chief of orthopedic surgery at Shriners, uh, told me, he said, Jeffrey, we're going to send you home. We can't do anything more with you till you stop growing. Uh, along the way, they operated on my right leg, and they discovered there was no joint in the right knee, so they broke the bones. They fused my right leg back together stiff, cleaned away valuable growth tissue, and uh, my right leg is about four inches shorter than my left. My left leg doesn't come completely straight. It's about 85 degrees uh, is what it, what it comes out to. But uh, uh, I'll always be four feet, six inches tall, Michael Jordan eats your heart out. I learned to do all kinds of things with my feet. I learned to write with my feet. I used to suck my big toe. I even learned to feed myself with my feet. You should try that, Andrea. It'll add a new dimension to the taste of Sunday cooking. <laughs> we'll let Gina try that. I'm not that flexible. <laughs> oh, now, there you go, Gina. Goodness. How about that? Unfortunately, yeah, I, I had uh, nine reconstructive surgeries on my spine. I've lost about five and a half inches of height, and I don't think I could get my feet to my mouth if I had to. Oh, uh, well, oh, well, I guess we'll have to see sometime when we when we meet. How about that? We'll have a, there we'll you have go. a contest to I see love which one idea. of us can get closer. Anyway, uh, I uh, I lived at home for about nine months. But it got to be too hard for my mom and dad to take care of me and three girls. It was the girls that were the problem. Uh, it's always the girls that are the problem. So I uh, I lived for about not about six weeks with a foster family who had a daughter who had cerebral palsy, and then. Um, they came to pick me up, and they drove me about 63 miles away to the Good Shepherd home for kids with disabilities and old people. And I lived there for about 10 and a half years, went to public school. Don't, don't feel sorry for me because I'm not telling that for sympathy. I'm telling that for information because the truth of the matter is I graduated from William Allen High School with a class of 771, I left Good Shepherd when I was uh, getting ready to go to college, and I called my parents and told them that I was leaving Good Shepherd and I was going to move in with this family that had, uh, they were really the, the, the primary people that were responsible for, for my faith and for my, my uh, philosophy that each of us is a masterpiece in progress because... Uh, they taught me that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I began to realize God makes no mistakes. I'm not handicapped because of some unfortunate situation. Uh, I'm not even handicapped. Uh, because a handicap, in my definition, is anything that keeps me from being or becoming all that I was created to be. And I was created for a lot more. Um, my physical situation is an opportunity for me to showcase what almost anybody can become, that the least likely person can, be, can accomplish the most extraordinary things in a most unusual way. And that's what my life is about, challenging people to see the possibilities. 
and to put aside their excuses, quit complaining, and to make the most of it. I am a singer. I have been singing and performing on stage for more than 46 years. I am a comedian humorist. I had a five-year-old that wanted to know why I didn't have any hands. I told him I used to bite my fingernails, and one day I went too far. He, uh, he's still in trauma therapy, um, but he's got great-looking hands. Uh, my, my life is about getting people to see that there's plus, even that our circumstance, it's important. Our circumstance is important, but we're not defined by the negative things in our lives, but yet those things can refine us. And they can make us better and not bitter. And I know that sounds very cliche. Um, but the truth is that for for me, I have the opportunity to take a message all across the country. I've driven four, four million plus miles in my career. I've driven across the entire United States several times and up and down, the, you know, the coast. I've uh, been across Canada. I'm going to interrupt you a second, Um, Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, Well, you know, one of the things that when, um, you know, that uh, Gina hasn't had the chance to really know is, and and the world, a lot of them have no idea that when you say driven across the United States, um, often that means with you as the driver. Oh, yeah. You know, the the concept for people to realize that you can drive a car with no arms totally blows them away. Um, so I, I would love you to, to share what that looks like because I don't think people understand how you could do that. Because, you know, we often in our world, you know, um, have challenges and we don't know how to lever- leverage our abilities to overcome a disability. And so I'd really like you to specifically say how you are able to do that. Well, Andrea, um, I, FYI, I don't consider it a dif- disability. I consider myself differently able rather than exactly. disabled. Thank you for well, that. Sounds like that's true of you as well. Yeah, disabled suggests that I am not abled, and as right. you know, as uh, as you guys have 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 said, I mean, look at all the things that I am capable of doing. What part of my life is really disabled? The fact of the matter is, I mean, I I I have a steering ring that my hook fits into. We used to refer to the knobs like that as a suicide knob. Uh, but they were rounded and you wrapped your fingers around it. This one has a hole in it, like a donut, and my hook fits in it and kind of locks into it, and it's it's a spinner knob. You know, uh, we used to call them suicide knobs, like I said, but my my team that traveled with me used, used to call them homicide knobs, although I haven't killed anybody with it yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then I have a left foot. Uh, accelerator pedal extension that not only uh, moves the accelerator over to my left foot, but also moves it closer because I'm short. You know, I was uh, in a concert one time and a lady, I mentioned being short, and a lady raised her hand 
in the audience and I acknowledged her. There was about, oh, 750 people in the audience. And she said, young man. And I looked at her and she said, she said, you're not short. You're vertically challenged. And I looked at her in front of all 750 and I said, ma'am, you're mentally challenged. I'm short. (laughs) But so I have this, I have this pedal this left foot extension pedal and it's closer. And then I have a brake extension pedal because it needs to be closer. And I have those set up in such a way that even my wife can drive my car. I have a Lincoln MKZ. It's a 2016. And Oh, by the way, did I mention that I'm also an Uber and Lyft driver? No Actually. And, way yeah i actually drive uber and lyft and 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 what's cool is i usually wait until i'm doing at least 40 or 50 before i tell my riders oh by the way i don't have any arms that way if they decide to jump out it has an impact (laughs) i had a i had a businessman that got in my car and he got in the front seat and he looked at my hook on the wheel and he said were you born like that? I looked at him and said, without the hook, I said, that would really hurt. I said, this is going to tear a little. <laughs> My mom is tough, but she's not that tough. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because I've, like I said, I've, I've, I drive. Um, I do most of the driving whenever my wife and I go anywhere. Um, I she doesn't like to drive and I do love to drive, um, but um, I I have driven all over the United States. I've driven about four million miles, as I said, in my 46 year career, and I've even pulled a trailer. I pulled a five by eight utility trailer uh, that has uh, sound equipment and PA gear and uh, products that we sell, merchandise that we sell at our concerts and stuff. But uh, um, I I have a message for the world, and that is quit focusing on the handicap and start appreciating the gift. You're a masterpiece in progress, becoming one color at a time, all that you were designed to be. And that's that's my message. That's what I do. Well, that and is just, really uh, fantastic. Good, Andrea. Oh, well, I was just going to share that, you know, to be with Jeff and to see him in progress in his world and to see what he does is quite amazing. Uh, just uh, um, his uh, gentle spirit and his great ability for laughter and, and how he loves on people and helps them see and believe in themselves in itself is quite remarkable. And then um, – when you're with him, you forget that he has any kind of challenges with doing anything uh, because he finds a way. And it's so uplifting and so inspirational. And that's one of the things that is really exciting, you know, because so not only is he a keynote speaker and an entertainer and a musician, he's had several um, albums. Do they still call them albums? I guess <laughs> digital. Um, I, call, I call them albums. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, there's no other word for it. I mean, like, what do you call things that are intangible? Like, uh, he has multiple M3, MP3 hits <laughs> digitally, you know. <laughs> they're still albums. They're music. Um you know that you know people love and embrace and and at the same time because he wants to be doing something on a daily basis in between you know um auditing and rendering videos and in between writing and he's a painter as well and um um in between uh radio interviews he still wants to be out there meeting new people and doing new things so he thought oh I'll be an Uber driver as well. Um, it bring it, it brings an extra income while I'm out hanging out with people, which is really why he's looking to get out and about. And I love that because look at how many people hold themselves up at a wall and don't do anything to get out of their space um, because they feel like something's holding them back, and Jeff doesn't let anything hold him back. And I'm sure you have other questions well, as well, Gina, so chime in any time. Jeff, you wanted to respond yeah, to what yeah. I said? Yeah, I was just going to say uh, one of the reasons that I do the Uber thing in addition to supplementing income, which really isn't a lot, the real reason I do it is because of comments like a gentleman that I drove uh, last week who said, I mean, we had a 100-mile drive because I picked him up in Tampa to take him to to, uh, Orlando, and he said to me at the end of the ride, he said, Jeff, he said, you made my day. You made my week, he said, because you are an inspiration. And I was feeling, you know, okay, what kind of a really drab, you know, dull, you know, problematic uh, Uber ride am I going to have? And he said, you made me laugh and you made me think about all the excuses that I have. And you you shared with me your inspirational story. And it turns out that he works for Disney and he my son is coming down July 8, 9, 10 and 11 with uh, his two children and wife and uh, Dan is going to uh, uh, we're going to be his guest for the day at Disney and but I I don't do it for the for the perks I the perk is that I got to be an inspiration and I got to to encourage somebody who might have been discouraged that day. And, and that's, that's the ministry. That's the blessing of doing what I do. Um, I, I, I had a couple of Brazilian gentlemen that I picked up yesterday at the airport and they wanted to take a picture with, they wanted to know all about my pedals and, and, uh, you know, they're here with 60 kids from Brazil, uh, you know, for the day. And, you know, they, they, posted it on Instagram and, you know, wanting to let people know, hey, you know, we met this guy and he has no arms, but he really inspired us. And, and that's, that's why I do what I do. Um, so anyway, so Gina, what can I tell you? So when you are out and about and being the inspiration that you are, who do you typically talk to? I talk to companies. I talk to schools, assemblies. Um, you know, it, with our society being what it is today and all the anger and the angst and all the, you know, kids need to know that they've got something within them that, you know, can help them to rise above all of that. And and to let them know, hey, all that you can be, you really 
can be. And so I talk to kids about that. I uh, I talk to um, churches. I sing and speak in churches if they want to have me. I uh, I sing and speak for fundraisers and uh, and uh, you know telethons. I for for ten years I was a a, a part of the National Easter Seal Telethon, uh, both in Los Angeles with Pat Boone for seven years, and then. Uh, for the entire 10 years, I was also a co-host in uh, local Easter Seal telethons. I love doing what I can to help people to accomplish their goal. And uh, so, you know, if you can name it, in, in 1989, I was honored and privileged to be on stage in Denver, Colorado uh, for... Mother Teresa of Calcutta's final tour of the United States, and I happened wow. to be asked to speak for that and and sing for that, and then she spoke. And and Andrea, you know how short I am. She was even shorter than I. Awesome. Oh my she goodness. She was even shorter than I. I had to kind of lean down to kiss her cheek, and she was amazing. Um, I've been blessed to be a part of all kinds of events and uh, I'm looking forward to doing more. You know, if you know of somebody that, uh, that is having something special or wants something special, contact Andrea and red carpet connection and she'll put you in touch with me. I'm not cheap, but I'm easy. (laughs) Ah, that's awesome. And who is the fav- who is your favorite audience to speak to? Is it the corporate or the kids or something else entirely? I would say that my my favorite audience it, it kind of changes. I mean, I, I Andrea and I just came back from a mastermind at Sea Cruise. And uh, for, uh, it was promoted by uh, the Winner's Circle. And I really yeah. didn't Roger know Salam. why I was... Yeah, Roger Salam. And I really didn't know why I was there when I first got there because here were all these, you know, successful people, each of them connecting, you know, each other, you know, and doing what they do best. And I had never done a whole lot in in those circles and so on Sunday night I said to Roger I said what is it you want me to do and then he told me he said I just want you to tell your story I just want you to inspire the heck out of these people and I want them to walk away saying they don't have any more excuses and I said I think I can do that and so that's what I did and that was fun because I got to spend a week you know, with the very people I had inspired and talked to and got a chance to get to know them. That's how I met Andrea and, and uh, Ken and, you know, mm. Paul Padgett and, you know, all of these amazing people. And I got a chance to um, get to know them a little deeper. So, you know, whatever the opportunity is, I want to take it as far as I can. I, I love singing and speaking in churches. I love uh, 
being able to fly in and fly out and do a corporate event or a convention, that sort of thing, but for different reasons. They all have their special, you know, their special draw for me. And I don't do anything that I can't believe in. I don't endorse or support anything that I cannot, you know, believe in, you know, or or say that I would put it to use in my own life. Because that's just the way I am. I'm kind of weird that way, aren't I, Andrea? Yes, you're weird. (laughs) (laughs) So many of our listeners are entrepreneurs. What advice do you have for them? Get, catch a vision of what your goal is, uh, where you want to be, and then look at the possibilities. When I was 15 years old, I wanted to drive a car in the worst kind of way. Of course, if you ask some of the people that have ridden with me, they'll tell you that's exactly how I drive. But all kidding aside, the fact of the matter is I had in my head already a sense of what I was going to need to do if I was going to drive a car. And when I realized that the average high school driver training teacher was never going to agree to let me ride with him, you know, or teach me to drive, I went to the school, you know, the high school where I was going, and I went to the driver, the head driver training teacher, who coincidentally had had been in the war in, uh, I believe it was uh, World War II or whatever. Anyway, he lost one leg, and so he took me out in a car, put some two-by-fours on the pedals, to where they were close enough where I could reach them. We rigged up, rigged it up so we could, so that I could drive the car around a parking lot. He had me do a figure eight. He had me do a serpentine. He had me do the stop sign and, you know, and go and, you know, U-turns. And even a three-point turn, which in Pennsylvania we used to call the K-turn. That's where you point your... You do a turn like you're going to make a U-turn all the way to the curb, but your front wheels are not allowed to touch the curb. Then you back up so your back wheels are at the curb behind you, but you're not allowed to touch the curb. And then you complete the turn. Um, Most states call it a three-point turn. He had me do that, putting some cones and stuff. And after we had done all of those things, he said, okay, what do here's what we need to do. And we went to a local state senator by the name of John Van Zandt. And we, we uh, petitioned him to have the state of Pennsylvania issue me a learner's permit, a conditional learner's permit that would, um, that would require that the only way I could drive was with my driver training teacher or with someone he designated so that I could practice. Uh, somebody who worked at Good Shepherd who let me use his car. Oh, I forgot to mention, um, Gina, the car that he let me use was a 1960 Buick Electra with a 445 Wildcat engine and a fluid drive transmission. Holy cow. That, that thing was a land barge. That thing uh-huh. was huge. And it had the fins and the whole nine yards. 
And that's what I wow. used to learn to drive. And so when I got my, and I had a gentleman from Lancaster County who was a, uh, uh, he was a uh, conscientious objector, uh, military conscientious objector. And in those days, a lot of them from Lancaster County did their military service by working as orderlies or uh, janitors or whatever for places like Good Shepherd. And they, they did their their uh, military service uh, by serving others in a you know in homes and hospitals. So I had one of those gentlemen that worked at Good Shepherd who was a welder who designed and fashioned my uh, or actually he and I designed it and then he fashioned and welded me my first set of uh, foot pedals for my car. And so I I practiced on that on that uh, uh, Buick. And then when it came time to take my test, the school, we rigged up the school uh, car because that's what we had to do, you know. And so we we went to take my test in a 1969 Chevy Malibu. Or Chevy Nova. It was a small one. It was one of those really, really small so I went from a Buick to a to a to a really small car to take my test. Oh my! And uh, it was it was hilarious. That had to be a lot but, you know, easier. You know, oh well, yes and no because your turns were tighter, and you know if you're used to something with a big nose out there, you know, and a lot of power, and all of a sudden you've got this little car, and you just barely touch the gas, and the whole thing just kind of get takes off out from under you. So, you know, I knew I was in trouble when I walked into the state police barracks, put my license, my uh, learner's permit down on the desk and said, okay, I'm ready. And the officer looked at the list to see who was next, realized it was his turn. I could watch the color drain from his face. And he went outside with his tablet, with his uh, notebook or his uh, clipboard, and he counted the tires to make sure there were four. (laughs) You know you're in trouble when they're counting the tires. So, uh, but he rode with me. He rode with me, and we went all the way around the city after we had done everything we had done in the parking lot. We, you know, stop sign, go sign, U-turn, K-turn, all of that. When we finally got back, he turned and he looked at me. I said to him, well, did I pass? Did I pass? And he said, you passed and apparently so did he because there was a spot on the seat (laughs) no i'm just kidding but truthfully he said he told my driver training teacher he said i've ridden with a lot of your students and i'll tell you he was the best driver training student i've ever ridden with wow and uh that's that was that was pretty good pretty great for me i was really pleased uh by the way, I'm married. My wife and I have four children, and we have nine grandchildren. Wow. Yeah. Well, I hope our listeners you know what, are really hearing today that anything really is possible. If Jeff is able to drive vehicles at the level he's talking about, he can do anything, and so can each and every one of our listeners as well. Go ahead, Andrea. 
Well, Jeff, you mentioned about having kids and having family, and, and that's one thing, you know, people are often afraid to ask. Um, and what, what I love about you is you're very transparent. And for you, uh, so if you'll share, so the question that I'm usually, people will ask me privately when they're not, because they're afraid to ask you, when, when you are very open to people asking, because you get that people don't understand your life or what, what you've gone through. And, and they are curious, um, you know, they are, they're like, oh, is Jeff concerned that his children would be uh, born with uh, disabilities as well or, or different differently abled as well and uh, so I wondered if you'd address that because I know some people are thinking that and they want to know yes um, one of the things my mother said to me back when I told her that I was getting married was uh, first she said don't get married she said because it would be unfair for my wife and then she told me don't have children for the same reason she said Jeff she said your wife has enough to take care of you much less to take care of a a baby but the truth is when when my son was born one of the questions that the doctor asked I uh, uh, was uh, what if the baby is born like you and I looked him straight in the eye and I said then he will learn to adapt and overcome I said uh, I said he'll learn from somebody who has already done that He'll learn from, you know, somebody who has the experience, you know, that there isn't anything you can't do given the, given the chance. And, or you can waste your chance. You can waste your opportunity. Um, these, they did a sonogram at one point because we wanted to know. And he said, well, he said, before we do the sonogram, he said, let me ask you this. He said, if your baby is has, is born like you, if your baby has no arms or deformities or whatever, he said, are you considering abortion? And I looked him straight in the eye and said, absolutely not. And my wife looked him in the eye and said, absolutely not. He said to me, he said, then why would you want to know? And I told him, Andrea and Gina, I said, doctor, I said, I'm pretty well connected. I know doctors. I know people in rehab facilities. I said, I want to know so that I can be prepared to help him or her to rise to his full potential. And I said, I can't do that if I don't know. I said, the truth is, I said, knowing means that I can pick up the phone and I can call an orthopedic specialist or I can call someone immediately and say, I've got this situation. What can we do? How, you know, and, and when do we start? And, you know, that's, that's what I do. I'm really, really good at it. Good at it. If somebody comes to me and says, a, a lady came to me one time and she said, Jeffrey, she said, um, my, uh, son has five toes on one foot or six toes on one foot and it's really hurting the way he walks and I said then contact Shriners Hospitals and she said well my pastor says yada 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 about Shriners and I said let me ask you a question do you want to do you want your son to suffer because of what your pastor's afraid of I said, because what I know is that the Shriners aren't going to ask you to sign anything. They're not going to ask you to join anything. 
I said, do you want your son to get help or not? And she said, well, I want my son to get help. She said, but I don't know that I can afford it. I said, well, they don't charge you anything. I said, I'll make a call. I picked up the phone. I called. I got her a sponsor. Her son's toe was taken care of, and not once did anybody ask her to join an organization or do anything. That's what I like to do. I like to help people make connections if they can so that they can get the help that they need. And so that's what I did. My son was born with two normal arms and legs, and uh, I was there the day he was born. And I watched, and I helped, and I was so pleased. And now he's 42 years old. He just turned 42, and he's a nurse practitioner, and he has two children of his own in North Carolina. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled, you know. Our other children, you know, my wife and I, uh, we're a blended family. And so, uh, but our, I remember going to her kids once when we were dating, and I said, I'd like to date your, your mom. And the daughter, without even thinking about it, just said, well, just make sure you keep your hands to yourself. And I held up my hook, <laughs> and I looked at it, and I said, well, I promise. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. <laughs> awesome. So, awesome. but let me get back. Let me get back to Gina's question uh, for the entrepreneurs in, in in that are listening in our audience today. You have a dream. You have a passion, and you need to go for that passion. But you can't do it stupidly. Find the people who can help you to get that that passion fulfilled find people you know who can help you and and then go for it and put aside your excuses hey if i can do what i do with no arms mangled legs and not a whole lot of 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 uh positive options think of all the things you can do uh i'll never be a golfer even though I got a great hook shot, but I'll, I'll be here all week, folks. Um, but but I, you know, I'll never, yeah, I'll never be, you know, uh, I'll, I'll never run a marathon. Heck, I can't even hardly do convention centers these days like I used to. But that doesn't stop me. There are things like collapsible wheelchairs that you can get that will fit in the trunk or the back seat of your car, and they're powered. You know. I'm not willing to let anything stop me or even slow me down. And you can't either. Determine that you're going to be the best you you can be. You have the potential. I told this on the cruise. There are three things you need to consider before you can make it happen. You have the potential. All that you can be, you can be. Uh, I am a I'm a graphics designer. I'm a uh, I, I'm a video editor. I'm a recording producer. I, I I I'm an oil painter. You know I'm incredibly talented, very very cute, and mostly humble. Ninety nine percent. And if you don't believe me, just ask me, and I'll tell you. Here's what I'm trying to say: You have the potential. Find your gift. Go for that. Realize that gift. And also realize what you can't do. There are things I can't do. Um, I need help getting dressed. 
I need help taking a bath. I need help with certain personal care. And it's not something shameful, and it's not something to hide from. There are things I cannot do, and if I recognize what I can't do, it helps me to focus better on what I can. Second thing I told them, all that you can be, you must be. If you realize that you have the potential to be a great real estate agent and you and you don't see the mandate and you don't go for it, you're settling for less. Less should never be good enough. Look, second place was great for my son in their uh, county soccer team for the, when they played the state uh, because they played their very, very best. And they came in second, and most of those kids had never even played together as a team. And yet, they came in second. And you know, but they didn't give it any less than their best. And that's what I'm saying. All that I can be, I, mu- I can be. All that I can be, I must be. And then the third thing, all that I can be, I choose to be. Because you got to want it bad enough not to care what anybody thinks. The one thing that will stop you in your tracks and will guarantee your failure is being worried about everybody else's opinion. And the truth is, most of our high school kids and junior high school kids will fail because they're worried about peer pressure or worried about being popular or worried about being liked, you know, whatever it takes. And what I tell them is, you gotta want it bad enough not to care what anybody thinks. I've been in, I've, I've traveled the world internationally and I've had the opportunity to be with some of the most amazing people. But the truth is when I go to bed at night, I still have to deal with the guy called Jeff Steinberg and what it is. I believe God has designed for me to be. And that's, you know, so I, I want that. I want to be the best Jeff Steinberg. I want to be, you know, the masterpiece. Now, you put all three of those together. I can be. I must be. I choose to be. That's when you can get up off the couch or off the, off, out from behind your desk and you can go make the sale or you can go do that that deal that, has been keeping you back, you know, and, and that's, that's what, that's what my message is. The world calls it handicaps. Um, I, back to something Gina and I were laughing about earlier and the word disabilities. I, uh, a number of years ago, I was privileged to sing and speak a couple of times for the luncheon for the president's council on hiring persons with disabilities in Washington, D.C., by the way, the president never showed. <laughs> but uh, I, this one particular year was the last year I was there. Apparently, I had used the word handicapped way too many times. Now, I'm not really good with political correctness. 
So after the event, this rather elegantly dressed blonde lady in a suit with wrist crutches came up to me. And she said to me, Jeffrey, now I know what it means when my mother calls me Jeffrey. It means that it's not going to end well for me. She said, Jeffrey, if you're going to make it in this industry, I said, industry, Mary? I said, we're manufacturing handicapped people? I said, count me in. I'm there. <laughs> she said, if, we're gonna, if you're going to make it in this movement, you're going to have to learn to use the proper terminology. So I looked at her. I said, fair enough. What is the proper terminology? She said, disabled. And I looked at her and I said, but I'm not. She said, excuse me? I said, Mary, disabled suggests that I am not abled. You heard all the things I can do. You've seen all the things I can do. What part of my life is disabled? She said, well, what about physically challenged? I said, aren't we all? She said, what? I said, yep. I said, you go to the fourth, the top floor of the Washington Hilton. Open the window. Step out on the ledge. Jump off and flap your arms as fast as you can, and you will find a physical challenge you can neither meet nor beat. By the way, by the way, I didn't get the gig after that. <laughs> Can't imagine why. I haven't been invited back. Oh, that's too funny. Here's the point. What'd you say to that one? She didn't have anything to say. She kind of just rolled her eyes and walked away because she knew I was right. The truth is, we're so worried about terminology that we're not getting the job done. We're so worried about what people think and hurting people's feelings that we're not getting the job done. Well, I refuse to be that way. And I think that when, you're, when you've got a job to do, and you've got a focus, and you've got a cause or a reason, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or whether you run a nonprofit or whether you're the principal of a school and you want your that they are loved and that they are smart and that they can, they can meet and rise above even what the world expects of them, you know, then there's nothing you can't accomplish. People look at somebody like me or even Gina and they say, well, you know, nobody should have to suffer like that. Well, I don't know about you, Gina, but I'm not suffering. My life is I'm not good suffering either, Jeffrey. And, and, and I have, you know, I have amazing opportunities and amazing friends and family and Andrea. <laughs> Are you still awake, Andrea? Thank you for that. Yeah, I mute myself because I laugh so often. I, I, I cover you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. <laughs> no, I have amazing people in my life. But you know what I learned? I learned that if you want to be successful, you have to ask the right questions and surround yourself with people who are smarter than you or better than you. Because they'll make you look good. And they'll help you to get the job done. And then you'll help them to look good. And you'll help them to succeed. My friend Mary Crowley 
who founded a company called Home Interiors and Gifts many, many years ago, used to tell people all the time, think mink. Don't think rabbit, fox, or squirrel. Think mink. She used to say, if you give to get, you're not giving. You're merely trading. You need to give to get to give. To get to give. To get to give. So that's I'm so glad you brought that part up, Jeff, because that was the other thing I was going to point out for our listeners. You're not out there doing things because Jeff wants them. You're not out there just trying to get for yourself. Everything I've heard you share today, it's always about other people and what you can do to inspire other people, what you can do to be of service to other people. And in so doing, you become that much more able. Yeah, and that's exactly that's right. You know, giving, I love that. You know, giving is, uh, uh, you know, it always needs to end up with giving, never with getting. Um, and totally agree. Yeah, and that's that's what Mary was trying to say. It doesn't matter how rich you get if you're not giving, then you really haven't. Uh, then then you're really not making a difference. You're just collecting and hoarding. Yeah. Yeah. And so many days, that's really what keeps me going. If my I'm having a, a particularly painful day, as I am a chronic pain patient, or some part of my condition starts to trip me up a little bit, the fact of giving, and I need to do this for the benefit of others and the service, to be of service to others, it's what keeps me going despite any other little things that get in my way. Failure is not an option at that point. Well, and you're right, and that's that's what's really that's what's really uh, you know that's what's really it's about you know if if all I'm doing is collecting money and you know accumulating property and accumulating things, then I'm really not accomplishing because the greatest leader isn't a leader because he can bark orders and say follow and say do it as I do as I tell you. The greatest leader is the guy who will make sure that someone else succeeds because then that someone will always follow that person. You know, and the same thing applies with uh success. I I uh I see everything I do as an opportunity to uh hopefully be a blessing to somebody, you know, to be an inspiration, to, you know, make a difference. And if, if along the way I can, uh, you know, I can take care of my family and my bills and things like that, then, you know, it's a win-win. So um, let me mention to you real quick while I'm, while I'm on it, though, for those that would like to contact me, uh, or would like to know more about me, I, we have a website. 
Jeff Steinberg dot net, J E F F S T E I N B E R G dot net. Uh, or you can contact Andrea at the Red Carpet Connection, and she can uh, connect us, and we can, you know, work through her if, if you'd like. Um, that's what the Red Carpet Connection dot com, Andrea. That's correct. The Red Carpet Connection dot com or four one nine seven two two six nine three one. And uh, um, if you, uh, you know, I, I would, I would be. It would be an honor and a privilege to uh, to have a chance to inspire your group and encourage your people. And uh, at the same time, you know, we'll have a few laughs along the way and a few songs. Uh, my music is inspirational and motivational. Uh, some little bit of gospel, some little, a little bit of uh, motivational. I've got a Barry Manilow tune called It's a Long Way Up When You're Coming From Nowhere. I've got a patriotic song that was written just for me with a 46-piece orchestra called This Land. Uh, same guy wrote uh, Masterpiece in Progress, which has not only become my theme song, I also have an autobiography called Masterpiece in Progress, and I'm working on a book called Discovering the Masterpiece Within. And uh, hopefully I'll get that out soon. But uh, I'm really excited because... It, you know, uh, Roger Salam once said that uh, the most successful person is not the guy with all the answers, but the guy who knows what questions to ask. Well, nice. I've come up with five of them, and that's become the basis for this book, and I'm really excited about it. Um, anyway, it's a, it's a real privilege being here with you, Gina, and with you, Andrea, and uh, it's the most fun I've had all day. And well, thank you so much for taking the time progress. to join us. I love that. Now, I will pleasure. be looking forward to reading the book for sure, so make sure you guys let me know when it comes out. Will do. Well, we'll do that, and I'm looking forward to coming back as well. Um, Andrea, love you. You're a masterpiece in progress, too. Thank you. And in our closing moments, because Jeff does need to go, I want to let people know that Jeff also travels internationally. Uh, so not only were we on a cruise, but we went to other cities as well um, in other countries. And he um, uh, found that the First Lady of Puerto Rico took a liking to him and his abilities and um, is um, hoping to work with us in the future about how he might be able to um, assist with a charity of hers. And they also are looking to pull in more consulting from Jeff regarding the ADA because uh, Puerto Rico is a territory of the United States and so we're pulling them on more and more as far as um, getting on board with what American culture sees fit to help people in our country to be able to have access to everything and they're wanting to adopt that as well. So it's uh, really exciting to see what all Jeff can accomplish and, and do. And uh, Gina, did you have any parting words? Other than thanks for listening, and we'll be back same time, same place next week. Thank you so much, Jack. This has been a fantastic uh, time to spend with you. See you all next week. Bye. Back to that. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. 
Till we're done.